Welcome to China Invest, a podcast designed to help us understand the why to, the how to, and importantly, the when to invest in the China market. China represents nearly 20% of global GDP, and yet less than 1% of most investment portfolios. My view is that we're all going to have to become more educated, knowledgeable, and confident about investing in China in the future. And this podcast is designed to help us get started. In today's podcast, I'm delighted to introduce Thomas Kwan, the CEO of Harvest Global Investments in Hong Kong. Harvest are one of the largest investment managers in China, with over US dollars 200 billion under management and over 300 investment professionals. Thomas heads up the investment team and has over 20 years of asset management experience in Asia. So welcome, Thomas, to the China Invest podcast. Good morning, David. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get started. We've all been following the um, recent developments in China from a political point of view and the uh, the National Party Congress. Um, so what's the outlook for the economy after the Congress and some of the settlement around the political uh, issues? And what announcements have followed the Congress that can give us some confidence about the future of the economy? Okay, I mean, we have we started with a very low expectation uh, going into the NPC, uh, but uh, it surprised to many investors uh, the two to three weeks after the NPC, we did see a lot of uh, new developments, both uh, in China as well as uh, on the international relationship front, which actually has resulted, has brought to the uh, strong rebound we saw in the last few uh, weeks. So for example, um, in the last few months, there was a lot of concern on the property sector, um, COVID, um, as well as um, I think after the Ukraine war, uh, everyone in the world seems to be talking about um, decoupling, especially some countries um, is talking about decoupling from China. Uh, and then we also have um, other ge geopolitical concern. Uh, but after the NPC, um, the government start to uh, give us a signal about a potential uh, reopening over the next couple of quarters. And then strong support uh, to the public sector, even yesterday, we saw that banks has been making, um, uh, giving out a large amount of loans to the public sectors um, in the last, uh, we'll be giving out a large amount of loans to public sectors in the weeks ahead. Um, also, I think, um, the meeting um, between uh, C and Biden, and also uh, between C and um, the German Chancellor was also uh, uh, very positive, especially um, the German Chancellor mentioned that um, for Germany, decoupling with China is not possible, which actually uh, all of the factors I mentioned above um, it's really uh, giving uh, uh, investor a much stronger confidence um, in the market as well as in the uh, economy. Yeah, um, and we've seen quite a lot recently, haven't we? And including some announcements around property and other um, issues that have been of concern. Yes, and 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 even the internet sector. Um, last week in the uh, China Daily. They also specifically mentioned the importance of the internet sector as well as the 
um, also the importance uh, of the video gaming sectors. So these are the sectors that got um, hit uh, hard um, in the last the last couple of years as well. Yeah. So what are the issues we should be concerned about? We, we worry about the COVID lockdowns um, and the, the restrictive policy around COVID. We worry about property. We worry about the US-China tech war around uh, chip manufacturing and, and uh, some of the uh, restrictions that are going to be placed on US companies in China. Um, and other things I've started to hear about, the, the demographics suddenly everyone's worried about. So what are the issues that you are worried about as a fund manager looking to invest in the China market? Well, I think all of the issues you mentioned, we should still worry about, uh, but uh, worry to a different extent. Um, all these are valid concerns at the moment. Yes, the government is talking about a potential reopening, uh, but it is still um, months away. Uh, property market, um, uh, finally, we got a strong support uh, from government, especially uh, uh, funding support from banks. Uh, US tech war, all these are still uh, existing, I think, potential risk to the market. But I think what actually uh, is important is given um, the change in policy direction, uh, we need to monitor how is this progress um, in the next few months. Um, if the policy is strong enough to at least stabilize some of the situation, I think the market uh, should continue to rebound strongly because if you look at um, the uh, 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 where we are today, uh, after the rebound, actually the market is, is actually just back to where we were in August or September. Um, valuation is still very low. So uh, all these factors, if it uh, continue to pay out well, um, it would actually give the market uh, uh, um, further, a, a further one. Uh, but a longer term uh, um, change in policy um, framework, especially the growth framework for China is something that uh, uh, we need to monitor over the medium term. So uh, in the last 20 years, China was driven by investment growth lead model. So, Right now, the government um, has made it clear that um, this model is not going to continue. So we should focus more on tech, we should focus on, on digitalization. Um, that actually with this transition from the old model to the new model will put pressure uh, on certain sectors, especially the property sectors. Um, so whether this transition will be smooth, whether these sectors um, can avoid a slump, that's something we need to uh, watch out for. Um, but then go to the uh, uh, um, demographic. I think that's something that a lot of people has uh, talked about, uh, not only lately, but even a few years ago, everyone looking at um, the, 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 um, the Asian population or the potential Asian population in China. Um, they start to ask this question. Uh, but first, this is not um, an issue that uh, only um, China is facing. Everyone in the, in the world is facing. But what China has and the rest of the world um, don't have is that uh, we actually have um, urbanization is still underway in China. So urbanization will wait today. 
um, it's only around 65%. Um, if you look at developed countries, we're talking about around 80% of uh, urbanization rate. So we have in the next five, 10 years, we actually will still have more people coming from rural area and going into the, 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 the cities or more suburban area would be developed into a bigger um, cities. So if you look at the um, middle class population, we are looking at, for example, for the period between year, uh, year two, uh, 2020 to 20, 20, uh, uh, 2025, in this five-year timeframe, we are talking about um, the middle and expected middle class population going from 500 million to 600 million. Um, so that actually will continue to expand, expand the consumption power um, of China consumer. So yes, aging demographic is a problem, but uh, we don't only, don't, don't forget that we should not only look at the top line number. Uh, we should look at uh, some of the numbers in details, like what I said, okay, how much, uh, what what is the the, the um, uh, composition uh, between uh, rural people and and the, uh, people living in the cities and how's their uh, earnings uh, are growing? Also, I think in the, on the technology side, uh, one reason why the government um, is now uh, policies focusing on uh, technological development, digitalization. It's also to deal with the uh, demographic problem. Uh, so if you look at um, some of the factories in China, uh, take um, the factory that produced the iPhone, for example, 10 years ago, it's very labor intensive. Today, um, it's all robotics there. So that actually will also deal with the uh, labor issues that brought about by the changing demographic. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that point about urbanization is important because in most developed countries, urbanization would be what, well over 80%, maybe over 90%. Yes, correct. So we still have a long way to go. Over the next 10 years or even 20 years, urbanization rate will start continue to increase in China. Yeah. Now, Thomas, having worked with you for a while, I know that you're very passionate about the importance of ESG in tracking the future success of Chinese companies. Um, and I know you've put a lot of uh, effort into having a full-time ESG research team that simply look at how companies are performing against the various ESG factors. So, so most people would worry about the reliability of data in China when it comes to monitoring ESG performance. But so are you finding that you can get access to the, the right kind of data and that you have confidence in that? And are you finding that there's a strong correlation between companies that have a high ESG rating compared with those that don't? And does this make it easier for you to uh, pick companies that are likely to succeed and get out of companies that are likely to fail? Well, I think it's very important for us to um, realize that um, whether your data set measure the relevant ESG issues in the market you invest in is the most important. Um, different countries, are facing uh, different ESG issues uh, because of um, the 
the stage of economic development because of the policy environment and also maybe uh, to culture as well. So there's no one, uh, one for all uh, ESG data set uh, for us to use. So um, it's quite easy, it's, it's, I think it's very convenient for people to uh, just use um, some of the data provided by um, uh, global ESG uh, provider. Uh, using one single framework. Um, but the problem is, we always ask, uh, are, this with, are this data, would this data reflect the uh, three ESG issues that companies are facing uh, in China? Um, so for example, some of the data, some of the issues that are important in China may not be as important in the rest of the world and vice versa. Uh, take pollution, for example. You're living in Australia, I don't think pollution is an issue for you at all, uh, not only today, but even 10 years ago, uh, because that has been dealt with uh, by government, by companies, by individual citizens. Um, everywhere is clean in Australia. But in China, uh, especially when you're talking about the manufacturing sectors, um, pollution uh, is still an important issue. So if we were using, um, a global framework to apply in China, they will actually underestimate the impact uh, from pollution. Um, and also if we look at um, from a governance issues point of view, um, if we look at uh, one of the uh, very, very important factors, the change of auditor, for example, um, in the global framework, most of them just um, is, uh, whether you have a change in um, auditor, um, or let's put it this way, most of the time we see change of auditor is a lack as a negative event. But in China, it can be negative and it can also be positive because in China, uh, we have over 150 of auditors that um, list the company can use. And in China, we actually have a, a quality weighting for this auditor. So if company actually move to a better auditor, this change in auditor actually can be seen as a positive event. Uh, so this is uh, uh, something that we need to be aware of in terms of how we measure uh, ESG issues and what data we use. Uh, when it comes to the effectiveness uh, or the relationship of ESG with um, shared performance, China actually has a very interesting policy framework. Um, in 2000, starting in 2016, the government uh, has made it clear that um, in, the, uh, in, in the futures, um, the government policy will focus on, the on quality growth rather than growth lumber itself. If you think about it, it's actually the same as sustainability, sustainable growth, right? So it's not a surprise that over the last few years, we start to see um, government policy in China are being more and more uh, related to ES and G issues. Like for example, um, the focus on environmental issues not only started after China has announced the less civil target. We actually found out starting from 2016, environmental uh, issue has become a, a more important factors in different um, policy framework. Um, governance, uh, for example, uh, the CSRC has 
uh, updated the corporate governance code, which actually uh, focused more on uh, better quality of management as well as protection, uh, more protection to small investors. So all ESG issues allow being embedded into um, all kinds of government policies, especially uh, if you look at social issues, for example, government has been stressing on uh, different in, in different sectors in the economy. Um, social issues, equality has become also a very important uh, policy direction. So if companies are not careful or a lot uh, does not realize the importance of ESG issues and they manage their company without making sure they are fully compliant or they maintain a high ESG standard. Companies are not going to do well, uh, not only in the, in, in the long term, and even they may actually run into problems in the short term. So in Harvest, we built our own ESG um, data set for the China market um, using a framework um, that we think can better um, focus on the key ESG issues in China and also using a very um, a different kind of data set that provide um, higher frequency data uh, for us to track um, the ESG performance of the company. What we found out is that over the last six to seven years, um, our ESG data actually can provide very effective um, and timely signals. Uh, of companies' um, ESG performance, um, uh, uh, whether it is uh, moving to a better or worse direction. Uh, like for example, um, we actually use NLP engine to go through um, a lot of information on the internet, media as well as government, web government website. So we can pick up um, signals uh, on a daily basis. And actually, we also um, constructed a number of indices uh, with index provider in China. I think the most um, the, the most interesting one is actually the CSI 300 Harvest ESG Leaders Index that we actually constructed with CSI. We take the um, out of the 300 um, CSI 300 constituent, we take the 100 uh, company with the best ESG performance. And on a sector neutral basis, we construct the ESG leaders index. What we found out is that over the last seven years, this index produced a close to 4% of alpha over the CSI 300. And at the same time, the return of the CSI 300 index was only around two to 3%. So the alpha is actually larger than the beta itself. So it's actually a very strong uh, evidence to show to investor that um, whether you believe in ESG or not, ESG is strongly embedded into the policy framework in China and they are affecting uh, the operations of the companies and also the performance of their stock. Yeah, I think that in the Western world, we find it um, hard to imagine a, a top-down policy-driven initiative like um, net zero in 2060, which the Chinese government is very committed to. And as you say, it means that the policy is embedded throughout the whole system, all the way from top to bottom. 
So naturally, the companies that follow the ESG framework are more likely to to succeed than those that don't. But um, in terms of the three, the three, the E, the S, and the G, the the G is often um, talked about as being an area where China has to improve a lot. Are you are you having any issues around the G in the ESG when you um, assess the performance of Chinese listed companies? Um, actually, the what we find is that actually in China, uh, large companies are actually having it. Um, quite good um, G standard, especially SOEs, having too many people uh, uh, surprised. Um, definitely, I think with more global investor um, investing in China, as well as with the local policy, uh, also um, asking for better governance uh, structure. This is something that will um, continue, can continue to improve. I think ESG focusing on uh, a more ESG investment become becoming more popular in China as well as the rest of the world can also help Chinese company, both larger and smaller one, to improve their governance um, standard. Yeah. But at the end, I think it's very important to also in the meantime, uh, when we invest in China, we need to find a better way to monitor. Uh, how governance is playing out in different company. As I said, um, uh, in our NLP engine, we actually go, we actually uh, uh, search over a lot of information on the internet on a daily basis. Something I think is quite interesting because um, in China, uh, we have a lot of news uh, wires or medias, uh, provincial level, city level. Uh, what we found out is that um, it actually make um, the act of companies more transparent. Like for example, if companies has conducted uh, some uh, uh, some uh, negative acts, um, some of the media, some of the media may report it uh, uh, right away. Um, so it actually makes company also uh, make make company uh, also under uh, code monitoring. Uh, by this media. So that actually um, would help to improve governance as well as the company conducts. Yeah. So you think there's a lot of improvement in that area. Um, so now, Thomas, um, here we are coming towards the end of 2022. It's been a pretty bad year um, for the market. Um, and you're now starting to look into 2023. And I'm sure you've got some predictions for us on how you think the market will perform in 2023 and whether, in fact, we, you think that we've reached a, a, a tipping point here where we may be at the bottom of the market and we're now going to start seeing some upside. So in terms of your crystal ball, what are you predicting for next year? Okay. I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we still have um, many problems to deal with. Um, from the policy direction point of view, uh, process has changed uh, to firm. In the last two years, we kept um, hearing about different kinds of crackdowns. Two, um, starting in the last few weeks, we start to hear more and more about supportive policy. So the policy framework or policy direction has changed that, um, drastically um, after the NPC meeting. But uh, we're just at the beginning uh, of that. 
so there will still be a lot of um, uh, um, issues um, that we need to monitor. Uh, but having said that, if you look at valuation, the most important thing is how much has been priced in. Uh, are people uh, looking at current valuation, is people still um, very pessimistic or optimistic on the on the market? I would say that definitely the the, the pessimism has reduced it since um, the NPC. But looking at valuation, uh, I think a lot of negative uh, outcome has already been priced in. Like for example, we would look at the um, the PE ratio. Uh, last month at the lowest level, we are trading close to eight times. Now we be bound, we will bound back to 10 times uh, PE. But where we were in the last few years, um, I think at the high, we were at 18 times. And even uh, look, looking at the low, longer pictures, uh, I think uh, most of the time uh, or on average, China was trading as 12 to 14 times. So at 10 times, we are still uh, at a big discount compared to history. So even if we think China actually uh, lead a de-weighting, so are we talking about the weight that from 14 times to 10 times or 14 times to 11 to 12 times? Um, so we actually did a, uh, an analysis on what is the potential return uh, for the China market uh, in 2023. Um, so for example, if we take a more conservative assumption that um, PE multiples will stay at around current level 10 times or 10.5 times, uh, but with a 10% uh, um, earnings revision upgrade. Uh, we actually should see China market uh, rebounding uh, or returning at least 15% um, in 2023. But we take an, a, a bit more uh, optimistic uh, assumption, for example, PE going back to 12 times, which is still actually at a very low level compared to history, and earning per shares revision of about 15%, we can easily see a 40% return in 2023. So all this depends on how the um, economy and the policy uh, play out, but we are still talking about a potential 15 to 40% return in 2023 uh, using a I would say a water uh, uh, conservative assumption. So, um, wow, that's pretty pretty good. I hope everyone heard that. 15 to 40 percent. Um, yeah, because if you look at the market, we actually gone through a long way uh, down in the last two years. So even if we are talking about um, a 40 percent return, we are merely going back to the beginning of uh, COVID. So in 2029. Uh, that's where uh, go back to, 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 to that kind of level. Yeah, so don't forget that uh, year today, the market is still down 20%. So if 40% so rebound, doesn't look a lot. And also the market also was down last year as well. Uh, so we have two years of um, very poor performance. So a 20% or 30% rebound just merely bring us back to where we were in 2018 and 2019. Yeah. And of course, if, if the COVID restrictions are eased, there'll be this sort of pent up demand. 
um, which uh, you know which could push it even higher. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, also from the policy point of view, um, the government actually don't have many choices right now. Um, I think first on the political front, um, it's now uh, should be much more stable from now on than where we were in the last two years. Uh, so policy can um, focus uh, entirely uh, on the on the economy. Uh, and secondly, I think with both the domestic and external pressure, uh, growth pressure, um, focusing on supporting the economy is the only way to go. And even if you look at uh, uh, this uh, geopolitical development, for example, as I mentioned, um, the C meeting with uh, German Chancellor and the C Biden meeting, why it turned out to surprise the market on the upside? It's because not only China, but West of the world are all facing uh, enormous uh, pressure on the economy and um, governments actually realize they should focus more on supporting growth rather than uh, on the political front. Uh, so I think this is the kind of environment we are going to go into in 2023 20, uh, from a very political uh, driven um, market to a more um, economic policy driven uh, market. Yeah. Good. Well, that's good. Now, last question from me, Thomas. One thing I know is that you have come up with this lifestyle tech theme, which is basically a sort of consumption theme, which I think is very interesting. Um, and you've even developed a tracker around it, which I'd love you to talk about. So what kind of companies fit into this so-called lifestyle tech theme um, and how, how are they performing and how do investors access them? Okay. I think first, um, as I mentioned, uh, Chinese government uh, uh, right now uh, focusing on the new growth models. They promote technology, promote digitalization, um, also promote consumption. So just from the name of it, you can actually see this fit very nicely into the policy framework right now. And also if you look at the composition of the MSCI China um, index. Um, it's already very tech and consumption heavy uh, at the moment. So five years ago, we were talking about uh, the new economy sectors, but this new economy sectors, a lot of them are already uh, becoming um, the blue chips um, in the um, China indices. Like for example, if you look at internet, internet is about one third of the index, other consumption related sectors, another one third of the index. So the market index is already uh, quite uh, tech and consumption driven. So what we are doing with this index, the lifestyle tech is, we focus purely on these two sectors, tech and consumption, which actually would be the main driver of growth and the main policy support area in China. Um, that includes uh, all the internet company, uh, but we also need to understand that internet companies actually, they are actually different kind of consumption platform. Uh, that's also include uh, traditional and non-traditional uh, retailers, other consumption related sectors, and also the fast growing, some of the fast growing sector like uh, EVs. Um, and also when we construct this index, we use a different approach to um, weight um, different, uh, to weight 
give weight to the constituent. We don't use market cap weight. We use revenue that are based of uh, weighting the constituent, which actually can take out a situation where uh, some company are being uh, chased by investors. So it's very high PE multiple. Uh, so have very high market cap, but very little revenue. So what we found is that um, this index called Selective um, China Lifestyle Tech Index um, outperformed the MSCI China Index or even the Hang Seng Tech Index over the last five years. And not only it outperformed when the market was going up, but also outperformed when the market was going down. Um, for example, very simple reason, uh, because we focus on the white sector and also using a different approach to weight this company um, so that uh, to make sure the more resilient uh, company are being weighted higher. Yeah. So how do we access the lifestyle tech theme, uh, Thomas? Through, uh, how, how, can we, how can we access it ourselves? Um, actually, we, we launched an ETF um, in the Hong Kong uh, Stock Exchange uh, two months ago. So ticker is 3155. Uh, so if you have Bloomberg, uh, you can take a look and also um, the index, the Selective China Lifestyle Tech Index, you can also access that uh, on Bloomberg. So you can see the longer um, return history uh, of this uh, interesting index. So, do, so would you predict that the Lifestyle Tech um, Index will outperform the China market more broadly? Next year. Well, I think, I think both for the longer term and especially in 2023, because uh, with the reopening, the consumption sector is the one to be benefit. And also the internet sector is still trading at a, a historically low level and global investor positioning and not only global investor and even local investor positioning on these sectors, especially in the sector, is still rather light. And uh, we are also expecting, uh, again, maybe one more set of positive news in the next couple of months. Um, uh, we think um, the ADL delisting fears uh, should be lessened uh, after uh, the first round of audit uh, without uh, being released, which actually can be very soon. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a great way to end. The, the harvest funds um, of invest across China A shares generally, uh, including Greater China, Hong Kong, and other markets as well. And the Lifestyle Tech Tracker, which is 3155 uh, as a Hong Kong tracker, a great way to follow the progress of that particular theme and, and potentially to invest in it as well. Very easily accessible via the Hong Kong market. So, Thomas, uh, thank you for your time, um, for giving us your insights. Um, uh, you've certainly painted a pretty strong picture for the market next year. We'll, we've got you on record so we can come back and, uh, <laughs> and look, look back at what you said uh, later in the year. But um, it's great to hear that we could expect some great returns out of the China market in uh, 2023. So thank you very much for being here um, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, David. Bye for now.